I trust you had a good Thanksgiving holiday. It's good to be back in the Word with you. I enjoyed greatly sitting under the preaching of God's Word last week from Ben Wright. If you were not here, I would encourage you to go online and listen to that recording. Christopher is serving us quite well with getting those recordings up within the day or the, even the afternoon. So this afternoon you'll probably have this message up online. And that's a, a good way to be able to go back and listen to something if you missed a point or wanted to catch a particular emphasis of the sermon. And Ben served us well last week. I would encourage you to listen to that if you were not already able to do so. We're in Mark 8, 22 through 26, and though I enjoyed Ben, it seemed a bit odd. It was almost like we're, we're getting to this certain part of Mark, and then we took this break. Uh, you might think of a, a parent who reads a story through uh, maybe a chapter book, and then the children uh, don't get to hear the story for a couple nights, and you're waiting with great anticipation, what's coming next? And now we get to the next, which is in Mark 8, 22 through 26. I'm going... Uh, quite slow through this portion of Mark. In many ways, it's a watershed moment. It's a, it's a crucial turning point in the book of Mark. And it's in this section that we find quite a few lessons and even questions that are as, that are as applicable to us today as it was for the disciples when they first heard it. Now, you are probably like me. You may have remembered while you were growing up, if you grew up in a Christian home, Remembering other people telling their testimonies of saving faith. And I can remember thinking, as we probably all have at some point, wow, I sure wish mine was that good. It was so juicy, it had so many turns, and mine was just five years old, woke up in the middle of the night, knew I was a sinner bound for hell, but for Christ, turned, repented, not got any drugs, didn't do a bunch of this or that, just five, probably lied, but I don't even remember it. <laughs> Dramatic stories of saving grace, we, we all think of them and maybe even know of them and maybe yours is a lot like my testimony, it doesn't have all of that interestingness. But uh, now after hearing many of those, I'm sure you would also agree with me that no two saving grace testimonies are alike. Everyone has a bit of something different. One maybe happens instantly and maybe another happens slowly. One may happen at a young age while another may be in the middle of life or even older. One may be within a Christian home and maybe one within a non-Christian home. Maybe one with the good sins having been committed, another with all the, quote, bad sins having been committed. And I realize now what I didn't realize at a young age is that the testimonies of God's saving grace in a person's life is more about the who than the how. I was interested at a young age thinking about how did it happen? But what's really amazing and universal between every testimony of saving grace is the who that did the how. Christ, the one who came and saved. What is remarkable is we will see yet again in this book of Mark this morning is that things don't happen the way we might be interested in them happening. 
a heart that is washed clean by the blood of Christ and is now receptive and interested in the things of God that was at one time foreign and hated the things of God, the way that happens, where they go from death to life, happens differently. Now, don't get me wrong, it happens within a twinkling of an eye when we go from saved to unsaved, but the process looks dramatically different. And at times, if we approach Scripture or with one another with a a process the way it worked for us, we might uh, miss some things. We would look for the formula for how God might save based upon what he's done in our life, and yet we would realize that the lone common denominator is who God uses to save, only the person and work of Jesus Christ. No salvation in anyone else other than Jesus Christ. So we're going to see this morning, we're going to be reminded of the truth this morning, the spiritual sight, that spiritual sight can, can come gradually by the grace and power of God. If you look at your text this morning and you put your eyes on it, you're going to see 22 through 26, and I have broken it down for our study this morning into four different sections. The first being in verse 22, where a blind man is brought to Christ. The second is in verse 23 and 24. Christ executes a partial healing. Verse 25 is the third section. This blind man's sight is then fully restored. And in 26, the blind man is then sent home. This passage in Mark is is quite unique on many fronts. This is the first healing of a blind man in the uh, in the gospel account of Mark here in the Bible. There's another that is going to come in chapter 10, but this is the first healing of a blind man that we see in the gospel of Mark. The count of this healing is, the only, is only recorded by Mark. If you were to open your Bible to Matthew or to Luke or John, you will not find this account, and that should raise our interest level quite significantly upon this passage. Why does Mark writing the story of Christ as told to him by Peter, see fit to include this story when none of the other gospel writers do? We'll explore the answer to that question in a minute. And finally, what may be most significant about this passage, most unique, is that this is the only time in the entire New Testament where Christ heals over a period of time. Previous to this and even after this, when Christ heals, it happens instantly. But this happens gradually over a period of time. In fact, at first glance, it almost seems as if Christ has to try a second time. The first time wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. And yet we would be reminded that that's a, that's a false way to view this. That Christ didn't have enough the first time around. Because we know from the testimony of Mark that he has the, the ability to heal instantly. This is, this is one man. And yet Christ has healed instantly a person who is deaf or had a speech impediment, as we looked at a couple weeks ago. Or even further back, Christ having the ability to multiply five loaves and two fish for 5,000 men plus women and children. Or a couple weeks ago, seven loaves and a few fish to 4,000 men plus women and children. Or upon the, the, the sea that was tumultuous with a great wind. And in a word, everything was silenced. This is not for a lack of power. 
in Christ that this place took gradually. Rather, it's for an opportunity to give a lesson. This, this text here is included by Mark as the testimony of Peter. And in many ways, probably the readers, original readers, would have hearkened back to Psalm 146, verse 8. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Or maybe Isaiah 29, verse 18. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Even the disciples and those with him may have thought back, I've heard that. And now it's happening in front of me. Look at the first section there, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now Bethsaida is on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Christ is continuing his ministry among the Gentiles. Philip and Andrew and Peter, apostles, all came from this area in Bethsaida. This would have been even home for them, and they might have known of or even known personally this man that Christ is getting ready to heal. But it's not a, a place of great faith. In Matthew 11, verse 21, Christ denounces Bethsaida for their unrepentance in the light of the miracles worked for them by Christ. They were a people of great unbelief. But there are, and there are always, some people. You notice those some people in verse 23 of this text. Verse 22, and some people... Some people who believe in Christ. We don't know who those some people are. But these some people may have seen his works previously. They recognize the ability of Christ. And and their faith, probably like the woman who had had a discharge of blood earlier in Mark, Mark 5, who simply wanted to touch the hem of his garment, they, they recognized that he had the ability. They probably thought as some did at that point, that if there was supernatural, even power in the garment. Remember the woman in Mark 5? She simply wanted to touch the hem of the garment that she might be healed. And here these people, some people, they bring their friend to Christ and say, would you just touch him? We learn in Mark 5 that it's Christ's power through the faith not the touch that does the work of healing. But we do learn the importance of active faith. It's not a perfect faith, notice. It's not a faith that is, is well-rounded. But it is an active faith, these, the faith of these some people. And they bring their friend to Christ. And they bring this blind man to Christ. And you sort of get this picture of a seeing eye dog that, that is guiding this blind person. And we would be well-informed and and well-reminded and even called to the work of being that seeing eye dog for the blind spiritually. Drawing them, pulling them, calling for them, leading them even to Christ. Bringing them to the gospel, bringing them to church, even physically if needing, going to pick them up and, and, and bringing them that they might hear of the good news that they might be touched by the Savior. It's a faith that these some people had that had some preconceived notions. 
Notice they begged him to touch him. They, they thought, well, if he could touch this, our friend, the blind man, he will be healed. But, but could Christ heal other ways? Of course he can. He could heal by, by the power of his word. He didn't have to heal with anything other than a thought. And Christ doesn't respond how they expect. He does touch him. Notice, look at the passage there, verse, 27, verse 23, excuse me. He took the blind man by the hand. There's the touch. But it's not the touch of healing. He leads him. He leads him out of the village. Now you can imagine this, this blind man. Blindness at that time was not just a personal difficulty. It was a, really a social blight. It was oftentimes people that had disease. You can imagine being blind in that day with maybe sandals on your feet and rocks in the, in the path as you're walking and steps and all of these things. And if you were blind and you didn't have someone to lead you at all times and you didn't know the route, you would fall. So there would be cuts, there would be bruises, there would be oozing, there would be infection. Oftentimes even the, the eyes at that time because this man probably wasn't blind by birth, by some sickness, would have been oozing and there would have been flies all over his face. He would have been socially unacceptable. He probably would have stunk. And yet this man, socially unacceptable, a beggar probably, is being led by the physical hand of Christ. Now he cannot see it. But I would imagine there is something going through his mind saying, there's something, there is someone that is leading me and I don't know who this person is. I haven't felt this hand. And yet he's, he's leading me. Brothers and sisters, we'd be well reminded by this passage that Christ knows, knows our every malady. He knows your every hurt. He knows your every pain. He knows your every wonder. He knows your every need. And yet he's the, as he is here for this blind man, he's the the, the loving shepherd leading you along. And he knows when it's best to lead you to paths, along paths where there would be still waters. And he knows when to lead you through the darkness of the valley of death. But he's leading. And he's leading lovingly. And he's leading carefully. Because he knows where he needs to take you. Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. Christ leads him out of the village and no doubt the, some people, the friends of this blind man, were probably a bit disheartened. We saw the touch, but he still cannot see. Instead, he's led our friend away disheartened enough that they probably didn't even follow. And yet, we would learn yet again that it is more important, whatever your malady of body or of soul, it's far better to be led by Christ than to be healed according to your timetable. The friends forgot that. Christ has his hands upon this man, ultimately the hands that would be pierced by nails on the cross for this man. He is well aware of the problem and he's going to put his hands upon the problem of this man's life as he puts his hands 
ultimately through the cross upon the problems of our lives. And when he had spit on his eyes, the passage says, and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. We probably read this passage and and you, uh, as well as I, think that sounds disgusting. Christ spitting upon this person, taking his hands and, and putting upon the probably the infected eyes of this man. And yet it's a, it's a personal touch. It ultimately will be a touch of healing. He's communicating with this man the way this man can feel and observe. As I stated before, I don't think this man was born blind but rather had become blind through some series of events because he recognizes men, which these men would have been the disciples, and he recognizes trees. Or he had some recollection at some point in his life of what a tree should look like. How is he to know that those people walking around look like trees? And how is he to know that those are men? Could Maybe they're animals, but they're men in his mind, and they're... They look like trees swaying around. As we said earlier, notice this healing does not take place instantly. It's the only place in the New Testament where Christ intervenes, intercedes for a person and the healing doesn't take place instantly, but rather takes place gradually. And as we said before, this is not for lack of miraculous power by Jesus. It's a teaching opportunity for the disciples and for us as well. Yet again, he's teaching them of the spiritual reality of life in the picture of a physical reality. Now, if you have your Bible open, go with me just up the page a bit or flip over if you have to. You'll see verse 17 and following of Mark 8. We looked at this a few weeks ago. But this is the context. And Jesus, verse 17, aware of this, Remember, they're having this discussion about the leaven of the Pharisees. Christ is warning them. The disciples don't get the warning. They're thinking he's talking about bread. And he rebukes them saying, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the four, for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet see? Do you not realize who I am? The answer isn't given for us, but it's obviously no, we don't. Their faith wasn't wasn't completely formed yet. They, They could see some things, but it was a distorted view. They couldn't realize at that point there was a distorted view, so Christ takes them into this physical realm of a blind man to help them see the trees that man sees that looks like people 
people looking like trees, is what you're seeing spiritually. You think you can see me, but you're not getting the clear picture. You're seeing me as a miracle worker, but you're not seeing me as the Messiah. The disciples, as we so often are as well, were content with a distorted view of Jesus. The Jesus that will fix my problems now or the Jesus that will give me what I need or the, or the, the kind and gentle Jesus to the neglect of the Jesus who had a ra- has wrath for sin. We so often take and distort the view of Jesus and here Christ is calling them to clarity. Look with me there at verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. You see, you see the point here? The point, whether it's physical or spiritual, is that unless there's an intervention by God, only through the miraculous touch of God do we have the ability to see spiritually clearly. This man, unless God touched him, Christ, could not see physically clearly. And yet here, this word clearly denotes a seeing from afar. He now had 20-20 vision. A few moments, a few seconds before, just saw this distorted view of reality and now sees 2020. Now sees clearly all that's going on around him. And it's the same for us spiritually. We can search and look and grapple for a correct view of Jesus, but unless God, by his saving grace, moves upon our hearts, we cannot see Christ clearly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known. The glory of this passage is, brothers and sisters, we who were once blind now have sight. We who were once blind to the reality of Christ as our Savior now have the ability to, to see him for all that he is. He's, he's no longer some vague, distorted image. But now he's, he's, he's beautiful and he's magnificent as our Savior, Jesus Christ. This man is now sent home. And he's told not to enter the village. And as we've looked at before, Christ is wanting to keep the correct view of himself. And knows that it will continue to be distorted amongst others if this man is sent and just seen for the miracle that had happened absent of the spiritual reality. But I can imagine the word got out. You walk to town every day and you see Jim, the blind man, right there for years. And then you walk to town one day and where's Jim? I don't know. This man came with this entourage and took Jim away and we haven't seen him. Is he okay? Well, I've heard. I've, I've heard he's good. Not only have I heard he's good, I, he can see. Jim can see. Yeah. He can see. He left home. 
unable to see, and he went home being able to see. I can imagine probably his, his wife, maybe even, or his family expecting Jim to come up the path that evening, expecting to hear him stumble or his friend say, a little to the left, a little to the right, there's a step now, watch that. And they don't hear that. They hear lone footsteps maybe and a man opens the door. He can see. He left this morning blind. But you came home seeing Spiritual sight can come gradually by the grace and power of God. Christ can heal instantly, and he at times heals gradually. And that applies both to salvation and sanctification. We know according to Scripture that salvation, the spiritual rebirth of a person, happens instantly, but oftentimes the the lead-up time takes quite a bit of time. Years, in fact, Our sanctification, especially through seasons of suffering, as this blind man was suffering, can often take place gradually because it's the who that is leading, not the why of the circumstance that is the most important. Christ is concerned with us seeing who he is, less so of the why of this life. That's the message in many ways of disciples. Don't look at the why I'm doing. Those are what's going on here, but look at who I am. This passage, the work of Christ calls for a response, a response from the disciples that we're going to see next week and, and a response from us this week and the next and every week that we look at Christ in scriptures. And the lesson, the question really for us is, as it will be for next week is, We have spent eight and a half chapters in the Gospel of Mark. Do you see Christ? Not for who we have a preconceived notion he may have been, but for who he is in Scripture, who he calls us to see. Do you recognize who he is? That he's the Son of God, that he is God, that he's the creator, that he's the sustainer of the universe. That he's the mediator between us and God. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. That there's no salvation other than through Christ. So if you are looking for salvation other than through Christ this morning, the question for you is, will you repent and turn to him in submission, in saving faith? For us this morning, if, if we're recognizing our pride we would be called to repent of our pride and realize that we were just at one time blind. We didn't smell all that good. Our sin oozing out. And if it was not for the miraculous intervention of God, we would still be blind. Are you looking to Christ for clarity on Christ? Or are you looking elsewhere? Are you looking at a distorted image to try to see the reality of Christ. There's so much false teaching out there right now. I made a rule, personal rule a long time ago. If you buy a book from Walmart, don't trust it. The books from Walmart on theology are bad. Just note that. But they're all over the place. With the internet and the ability to obtain all sorts of material, there's so many false Christs out there. Look to Scripture for the clarity of Christ. 
And if you're not looking at Scripture, you're not looking at a true Christ and repent of that. Because there's no other image that can compare to the image of Christ in Scripture. It alone is that which is beautiful. Have you recognized this morning that you are spiritually blind? Maybe for the first time you've recognized that your sickness of sin isn't simply a sickness, but a sign of spiritual death. That you need God to extend grace to you and save you through the work of Christ. Then I would simply call you to the truth of what he has done here in making the physical blind person see if you will respond in repentance and saving faith to the work of Christ on the cross for you, in love, you can go from spiritually blind to spiritual clarity. It's not difficult. Talk to someone, talk to me after the service. We'd love to help you with that. Are you discouraged this morning? Look to Christ for spiritual sight. Look for the who and not the why. Realize that you're no longer blind and there's no greater blessing. You're not walking around blind spiritually anymore. So whatever he brings into your life, you're not blind. You can see. In 1820, there was a little girl who was born and she contracted uh, some sort of cold A man who was not a physician, who claimed to be, recommended that they put a poultice, a salve upon her eyes, which they did. And the malady that she had was healed, but the result was that she was blind for the remainder of her life. At eight years old, she wrote this. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. This little girl grew up to be the, one of the greatest hymn writers of the last 200 years, Fanny Crosby, who wrote anywhere from eight to 9,000 hymns. She, she realized that the why of life was not as important as the who that had saved her. At some point in her life, she said this. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for that dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, notice, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. If I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see. Will be the face of my blessed Savior. We look at the truth this morning that God does things at times gradually. But look to Christ who has healed us from our spiritual death and given us life. Let's pray.
Father, we rejoice that you have provided for us abundant grace and loving mercy. That has given us the ability to see the truth. That because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, your son, we now have a relationship with the God of the universe. And that relationship is eternal. It is immovable. It is unable to be comprehended. That you, the mighty God, would send your son in the form of man to die an undeserved death. in the place of deserving hell-bound people. Deserving of that hell-bound race. And yet you love us and you have saved us and you have given us the hope of eternal life because of the fact that your son did not remain dead but rose again on the third day. Signifying the accepted payment. Father, is there anything more glorious than to be a child of you, our God? Father, we thank you that you have not left us spiritually blind, but you have intervened when we were unable to do so and you have saved us. And you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we thank you that that truth transcends every why, every circumstance, every distorted amount of faith, strength, whatever it is. We thank you, Father, for the lesson this morning that once again points to the fact that our salvation is not of our own. It's been a gift, a gift from you, our God. Father, I pray for those here who may realize even for the first time that they are spiritually blind in need of Christ to heal them, that you would draw them to repentance and saving faith. You would, in that instant, give them sight to see the beauty of your son, Christ. Father, we thank you for this season of thanksgiving, and we have nothing greater to thank you for then your word and the work of Christ proclaimed to us this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.